Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church. So our Bible reading this morning is from Luke chapter 5 and verses 17 to 24. One day as he was teaching Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there and the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow? He speaks blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, He stood up in front of them, took what had been lying on them, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. So this morning, I thought I'd do another one in the series of uh, tough topics and look at the question of healing. So I'm not going to do an exposition of this passage, although we will be referring back to it but rather a general consideration of the subject of healing, one of concern to us all. Of course, we all get sick, get injured, and eventually we all have to die. And that's actually where we need to start as we think about this topic. We live in a fallen world in which death is inevitable and unavoidable. And it's important for us to grasp the fact that God is more concerned with healing our spirit, if you like, healing our inner selves, our true identity, than our bodies. We will therefore be able to know God's presence in suffering and face death, being ready for it without fear, peacefully, and trusting in God for the resurrection of our bodies. Christians sometimes get confused about what happens after death. It isn't just that our spirits go to be with God and continue in an unembodied form with him for eternity. We are expecting the resurrection of our bodies so that our current physical frailties are wiped away. We're resurrected with a new body, like the body Jesus had after his resurrection, and spend eternity enjoying that and the new creation that God will bring about. So there is some continuity between a present and future, in that we will have a body, but it will be a new body, a renewed body. So any healing that takes place in now, before the resurrection, before the new heaven and earth, is always temporary, because still we're going to die in the end. There's a famous passage in Romans 8, which makes this point very clear, 15 to 24. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. By him we cry, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Indeed, if we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Then he goes on to say, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. So Paul makes it very clear there. This current dimension is one of groaning, of pain, of suffering, and of struggle. But we look forward to a new heaven and earth with a new body when all those things will have passed away. Which isn't to say that God's kingdom doesn't have considerable impact in the here and now. And through its history, the church has rightly been concerned about caring for the sick as a practical demonstration of compassion and evidence of the presence of God's kingdom. Indeed, in the West, there were many centuries when the only place you could go to get any kind of help if you were sick, um, at least for most people, unless accepting perhaps the very rich, the only place they could go were the monasteries. And the monasteries preserved a tradition through several hundred years of offering hospitality and care to those who were sick and suffering. Now, medicine, in terms of treatment, was obviously very limited then, but it was the love, the compassion, the care, um, the willing to, to look after the dying, and so on, that really marked out that as a great era, in many ways, of Christian witness through the monasteries, because everybody knew you could go there and get cared for. And then, after the Reformation, the Enlightenment, uh, science started to develop, very much motivated by a Christian understanding of the world and of creation. The scientists were just seeking to discover how God had made things to better understand it. As medical science began to develop and hospitals started to be built, most of them would have had Christian foundations. You'll be aware of the names of several of the big famous hospitals in London, St. Mary's, St. Thomas's, St. Bartholomew's, and so on. They all were originally Christian foundations where Christians motivated by the love of God, wanting to share the love of Jesus, set up hospitals to care for the sick. So the aim of the, the church and Christians in this current era, that is before the resurrection, has been to demonstrate what in Hebrew is described as shalom, which is a word usually translated as peace, in the Old Testament. It does mean that, but it's actually a much broader meaning. It includes the idea of restoration of wholeness, of a, of a reconciliation of differences. Peace, yes, but more than that, restoration of wholeness, restoring to completeness. And it's about demonstrating that is the reason why Christians and the church need always to be concerned for the sick and bringing relief to the suffering. Now then, if we come up to uh, where we are today, there is, as in so many areas of 
church life and Christian doctrine something of a spectrum of belief that I dare say some of you will be aware of. So on the one hand, we have what we might call perhaps the extreme Pentecostal or charismatic view, which says God always wants to heal. If you're not healed, it is because of unconfessed sin or lack of faith. That's one end of the spectrum. Uh, At the other end, we have the very conservative view, which says the age of miraculous healing has passed. Direct interventions of God in sickness do not occur today. Well, I'd suggest that both of these are actually unhelpful and uh, don't serve to advance our understanding very much. The first perspective in particular is uh, pastorally disastrous. You can imagine if you're sick and you're prayed for and you don't get better, and then the people praying for you say it's because you haven't got enough faith or you haven't confessed some sin. That's hardly a helpful response. I uh, spent 22 years as a GP in inner city Bristol. had a number of Christian patients, obviously. And from time to time, some of them would come to see me, having been to the latest healing crusade that had hit town. These were people suffering from chronic illnesses. They'd gone forward and been prayed for and so on, and hadn't been healed. And the people running the crusades had said, well, you've, you haven't got enough faith or you, you know, you've got unconfessed sin which, of course, was a very upsetting thing for them to be told. So I had to spend some time trying to disabuse people of that uh, false belief. On the other hand, uh, there are those who have no expectation of any kind of intervention of God in the present era, and, and that can be equally damaging because it implies that there's no point in praying, there's no point in doing anything other than just being feeling oneself to be a passive recipient of of anything that happens and not taking any personal responsibility or seeking God for help. So that one also is unhelpful. Allied to this, I think it doesn't help us to try and divide healing as we think about it into that which is natural and that which is supernatural as a result of direct divine intervention. This kind of dualism isn't a biblical view. Um, it's one we easily fall into because the way we are taught and think in Western culture has been heavily influenced by the Greeks, believe it or not, going back several thousand years. And this is actually a sort of Greek view that has a dualistic approach to reality. The Bible doesn't do it like that. Healing is all part of one spectrum, and we need to be clear about that. So... Any healing that occurs is a result of God's gracious work within us. So healthcare professionals, modern medical science, complementary and alternative medicine, whatever may be involved, if healing occurs, it's because God is graciously working through those mechanisms. Sometimes God does work directly uh, without any medicine being involved. But more often, I think, in our experience, certainly here in developed countries, If we're sick, we go to the doctor, we we avail ourselves of available medical treatment, and we pray, and we ask our friends to pray, we ask the church to pray. And maybe people lay hands on us and pray for us, and that's all good. That's how things should be, not not trying to separate them off into separate categories. There was a famous French surgeon back in the 18th century who made many advances in battlefield medicine, and some of the concepts he introduced are still used today. 
His name was Ambrose Paré, famous character in medical history. And his colleagues at one time came to congratulate him on all the soldiers he had saved because of the treatment he had given them. And with uh, commendable humility for a surgeon, Paré said, I bandaged his wounds. God healed him. And that's really the attitude that uh, all healthcare professionals need to adopt, whatever we're able to do in terms of our technology and skill is only done because God is there working through those things. So let's look at a few biblical words which talk about healing. So the word in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word most commonly used to talk about healing, it doesn't occur that many times, is the word rofeka, as in Jehovah rofeka, You'd be aware that when the, the Hebrews, the Jews, talked about God, it was always in reference to some aspect of him. They would never use the word Jehovah by itself. They thought that was disrespectful. So it was always Jehovah Jireh, the Lord my provider, uh, Jehovah Rofeka, the Lord my healer, and so on. And this is the word that's used in a famous passage in Exodus 15 and 26, where God says, There the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. He said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, and if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Jehovah Rophekah. So that's a, a, an important verse and an important concept here because you may be aware throughout uh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy are all these laws to do with hygiene and how to deal with uh, what was infectious disease, although the Hebrews at the time, of course, may not have recognized that. So the laws God gave his people were all about preventing them from getting sick as a nomadic desert community as they were at that time. This has become known as the sanitary code in medical history. And it's famous because, remarkably, we can still read those things today and see that they are relevant and useful in the light of modern scientific knowledge. It's as though Moses, uh, who would have written them, understood the nature of infectious disease, understood about bacteria being passed around and things, whereas, of course, he could have had no knowledge of that. That wasn't discovered until the 19th century. But because it's a revelation from God, uh, we're not surprised to find that it's still um, you know, accurate and relevant if we consider the circumstances in which it was written. And also, it doesn't, create, uh, it doesn't contain anything harmful. Many other medical systems at that time, uh, when you look at them, may have had some things that worked, but other things that we now know to be harmful. That isn't the case at all for the Old Testament sanitary code. But also, we need to note that it's conditional. God says, if you keep these commands and decrees. And that's not because God is trying to be vindictive and judge people. It's just, this is the nature of reality. If you go against the nature of reality, you're going to suffer. That's what that means. Uh, it's not that disease is a punishment for individual sin, but it's about obeying God's commands, living in the way that he commands us to. 
So we know today if we abuse our bodies by smoking, drinking too much alcohol, not taking any exercise, being overweight, etc., etc., um, it's likely that we'll get ill. Now, we may get ill even if we do do all those things. So um, we need to be clear about that as well. But God does hold us responsible to look after our bodies. And if, if we are ill as a result of abusing our bodies, then we need to take personal responsibility for that. So let's go on to the New Testament, which um, has a number of interesting things we should note. There are three words in the New Testament which are translated as healing. And the first of these, which doesn't occur very many times, only three times out of 120 uses, is the word sozo, S-O-Z-O. This is equivalent to the Hebrew word shalom. It means almost exactly the same thing. It means restoring soul, body, spirit. And 94 times in the, the New Testament, it's translated as salvation, which it also means. But when we read salvation, we perhaps think entirely just of the forgiveness of our sins. I mean, it means that, thank God, that's true. But it's much broader than that. And the way Jesus used the word is using it as though it's the Hebrew word shalom. So it's the restoration, the complete restoration of body and soul. So in the parable we read, uh, sorry, the story we read at the beginning, it's surprising to us perhaps that Jesus says to this crippled man, your sins are forgiven. That's the first thing he says. And then later he heals him physically. And that's because Jesus is more concerned with the man having his sins forgiven than he is with the fact that he's crippled. Or shall we say he's equally concerned. So in giving this person a whole person response, a holistic response, he forgives his sins and restores his body. So that's what sozo means. Restoration, reconciliation, wholeness. And it includes forgiveness of sins. The hymn writer in that great hymn, Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven, had it right when he used the word ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. That's sozo and shalom. Then moving on quickly, another word is therapio, from which we get the word therapy and therapeutics. 48 times in the New Testament, 38 times of these is translated as heal. And that means healing through various means. So it may include medical treatment, may include prayer, may include miracles, uh, may include just the application of ointments or whatever. Very wide meaning. And then the final word is laomai, which is just one way of healing, the, the instant miraculous. 32 times that's used and 28 translated as heal. And it's good to remind ourselves that um, the gospel includes healing as part of the ministry of the church. There we have many verses like this in the New Testament. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing, that's the word therapio, every disease and illness. So it's right that as, as a church, as a Christian community, we feel that we have a responsibility uh, for healing and the relief of sickness. So then, do miracles happen today? We must be clear that for something to be defined as a miracle in the biblical sense, it should be immediate, it should be total, 
and it should be possible for the doctors to do checks, pathological checks that show the disease has completely gone. So I believe, yes, these things do happen today. They're rare, certainly in developed countries. They do seem to be much more common in situations where there aren't medical services. Mary and I were working in Nepal for 18 months or so, 10 years ago. And the church in Nepal was growing very, very rapidly from virtually no believers in the early 50s as a result of Indians, uh, missionaries initially from India and then others. There were a few hundred thousand believers by uh, 2009. And many of these people, we heard, had become believers because they'd seen and experienced miraculous healings. They lived in remote villages, no medical services near at hand. They were sick or their relatives were sick. Church would come, the pastor would come, pray for them, lay hands on them, and they were healed. I never saw any of that personally, but it was well attested to by the Nepali church. And again, it's linking physical healing with forgiveness of sins. It's about the whole gospel, the restoration of the whole person. And we need to be clear that uh, there isn't a formula that can enable us to command miracles or indeed any other response to healing prayer. But as part of therapio, healing in general, we can always pray for healing alongside medical treatment. And I've personally witnessed many instances of God intervening to improve sickness as a result of prayer. Now, this doesn't always happen. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the prayer or with the recipient of prayer if they're not healed. We must be clear about that. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. It's a mystery which we don't understand. But it's always good to pray. The first time I really encountered this was in my own family as a young man. My father was in his mid-50s at the time, been generally well. Over the course of a few days, developed a confusional state, had to be admitted to hospital, then became unconscious. The doctors found he had uh, cancer of the bone marrow, which had blocked his kidneys, so he, was, he had renal failure. Um, and they, he was in a, what's called a uremic coma. His kidneys weren't working, so the toxins in his body made him unconscious. And my mother and I were told he'd probably die within 48 hours. My mother went with one of the leaders of the church that we were attending, and he laid hands on him and prayed simply that my father would regain consciousness so, you know, my mother and he could talk and do the things they needed to do and so on. And uh, remarkably, he did actually recover consciousness as this, uh, this man prayed for him. And the, the doctors were saying, well, well, it's a miracle. Well, you could say perhaps there was a miraculous element in that this, this was against medical science, but the disease wasn't healed. He, he did go on to die four or five months later, but that intervening time meant they had time you know, to settle their affairs and do the things that needed to be done. So clearly it was a divine intervention in the illness, but not a miracle in that he wasn't completely cured. But I'm sure you've got your own stories and maybe have a minute to, to share some of them in a moment. So it's always good to pray and to provide practical support for the sick. It's helpful to think of illness or injury as broken relationships within the body, mind, or spirit, or all three. And the aim of healing, remember, is to restore 
sozo or shalom, to bring about restoration, reconciliation, wholeness. Now this may or may not include physical healing, bearing in mind we all have to die. This is not our final state. Another quick story. In our church in Bristol, before we moved here, uh, one of the elders, a man in his late 50s at the time, was found to have advanced bowel cancer. He would live for several more months, he was told, but there was no point doing surgery or any other treatment. It was too advanced. So obviously the church gathered around him to pray. And a few months into this, when he was still reasonably well, I remember him standing at the front of church and saying, I am equally content whether I'm healed or whether I die. And I thought, you can't be more healed than that. That is shalom, that is sozo, because he was resting entirely in God's hands, content literally to die or to be healed. So, let's continue to pray and provide practical support for the sick, remembering that God is interested in restoration, wholeness, reconciliation, which may not include physical healing, but sometimes it does. We've got just a couple of minutes, so in true Mike fashion, if you just have a brief chat in twos or threes around where you are about anything that's arisen for you as a result of uh, what I've just been saying, and then we'll quickly have some feedback. Just a few minutes, have a, have a chat to somebody around you and see if there's anything that's come up for you. Okay, anyone bold enough to uh, share any thoughts with all of us and bring the mic to you? Gerald. I don't know that I can say anything very helpful. I'm very conscious of families I know where young people, at least they were once young people, who have been ill for many, many years in spite of lots of praying, and at least in one family that I think of, um, it's been a terrible stress on the parents. And uh, this um, young woman's mother has sunk into mental illness. And uh, you think, what's all this about uh, praying for healing? Yes, I mean, we have to acknowledge the reality of suffering. Um, that is a major part of the world. And uh, it's, it's got, that has to be part of our understanding of this whole area. It doesn't mean we don't continue to pray and help. But um, sadly, there are many instances where there is no recovery. You know? I think that's where the Christian hope is important. All, you know, all we can say is that eventually <clears throat> that will end and there is a new heaven and earth where it won't be present. I think both the young women in this situation actually have a strong faith. Right. Um, so it's not all despair. Right. Thank you. I have a feeling when you say that sozo and the, the the mental, the you know, the mind, the body, and the spirit. Um, when things happen, I believe pain, whether it's emotional or spiritual, it causes an effect. It has an adverse effect on us, and whether it was from a divorce or whether it was from an abuse or a rejection, I did a lot of bad things in my life. I lived a lot of heroin and crack cocaine 
and I was basically bound and lost and in pain. And I'm free today, I'm healed. And I'm not in pain anymore. And I'm emotionally stable and let's say spiritually dependent on the Lord. Great. Amen. Thank you, brother. Bless you. It's great. Thank you. <clears throat> I'm not going to be able to do this without crying. Um, a few years ago, 10 years ago or more, my best friend had viral meningitis in her brain and took a few... They thought she was going to die, and then they thought if she survived, she would have serious problems and be a completely different person. And she did survive, and she passed all expectations and finished her degree. And and through that, her best friend, who had no faith at all before, she came to Christ and is now living as a Christian, with a, as a missionary. And then last year... Um, the same friend who was really ill before had um, cancer in her jaw. And you just think, well, how? Her family's gone through so much already. And through that, she has gone through all the treatment that you would expect with radiation and everything. And she decided there must be a reason why I've had something again. So she's written a blog about our experience and how her strength to get through all the treatment and everything has come from God and um, so many people have read that and people have told me that I've shared it on Facebook and other people have shared it and you just see those experiences that her, she, her body has gone through and with the strength of God to get through it she has affected so many other people and they've been healed spiritually because of her yeah, trust. physical um, healing yeah. and she has been healed and she's been healed through both of those and I just thank God for that well done thank you very much it's good to hear stories like that thank you very much okay I think we better draw things to a close thank you for participating so let's just pray Father we thank you that you are the Lord who heals thank you for those experiences and instances we've been sharing where we have seen your healing or experienced it ourselves whether that be physical, mental, spiritual. We acknowledge also that there is suffering, that there isn't always healing. And we pray for grace and patience to understand that, to be peaceful with that, to help those who are experiencing it, to walk alongside them and support them and pray for them. Thank you for your love and goodness towards us for the new heaven and earth that we look forward to and the new bodies that one day we will have that will not be subject to decay. We give you our thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about Abergavenny Baptist Church, please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk.